A popular outcast production. Welcome to another episode of Portable Power. This is episode 21, and we're recording on April 23rd, 2014. Uh, I'm Kevin Seibert, and with me is... Mark Matters. Emrys Smith. Mark, how are you doing? Oh, I'm a little sick, and so is my kid, but we'll survive. Oh, sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. Are you drinking tonight? Yeah, I'm trying to open it without losing an eyeball. Oh, is it one of those corked ones? Yeah, this is, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's O-M-M-E-G-A-N-G, Omegang, Omegang. Omegang. I just like to say and go, Omegang, what a good beer. (laughs) But this is, uh, they're out of Cooperstown, New York, and this is their Three Philosophers Quadruple Ale. Oh, that's a good one. Which is like, I guess, 2% cherry juice? I don't know, something like that. But um, the bottle says it is a multi-Belgian-style ale with imported creek. I don't know if that is the yeast. Uh, I believe so. Cherry, dark, mysterious, chestnut color, good with strong cheeses. So, whoa! So, as someone who hates <laughs> cheese, it's a good match for you. <laughs> yeah. What are you playing that's not for the show? This past weekend, on the PlayStation Network, there was what they were calling a flash sale, and in this sale... They had over 30 games marked down to 99 cents. So I picked up Braid, which I've never played um, and have wanted to for a long time. I picked up Tokyo Jungle, which looked really interesting. And I picked up a few classic PS1 games like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro the Dragon. Nice. A dollar, what the heck? Sure. So that's what I've been up to, other than Dark Souls. Still trying to beat Dark Souls. And uh, Emrys, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. And, uh... Are you drinking anything tonight? I am drinking some iced coffee. Iced coffee? That sounds good. Where'd you, where'd you get that from? Sugar and uh, half and half. <laughs> it contains neither alcohol nor cherry juice, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, what are you playing that's not for the show? I've been playing Tropico 4 because um, Tropico 5 is coming out in a month. And I want to knock out the campaign before the new game comes out. Cool. I am drinking Laferwig Scotch once again. That's not terribly surprising. I was going to be drink. I found a bottle of a homebrew that I did, like the last bottle of a homebrew that I did a yeah. cup- from a couple of years ago in my fridge. And I was going to be drinking that, and I opened it and took a sip, and it was flat and nasty mm. by now. So, like most of my ex-girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh what have you been playing? I I've been um playing a little bit of Hearthstone. I've been playing a little bit of uh GBA on my Wii U. Hell yeah. Other other than that, um not really a whole lot. I I've been I went back to um SteamWorld Dig. Oh. For a little bit. I don't know trying to finish that cuz I never actually got around to finishing it. Mhm. Um, so, you know, it's been pretty fun, but I haven't really been playing anything extremely serious. I've just been kind of dabbling in a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, you're just waiting for that, uh, Mario Kart so you can really get into something, right? Uh, Actually, I was just about to say that about Kirby. (laughs) Kirby looks amazing. I know, I want to play that so bad. Alright, well, we're going to get into our question of the week. Uh, the question is, who is your favorite Marvel hero? Or, or character. It could be any character, really. Mark, we're going to start with you. You know, I really am a Marvel fan, and I have been since I was a kid. I remember being in the single digits watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends on TV. But all of my favorite Marvel heroes are, like, the popular Marvel heroes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love Wolverine. Um, he's oversaturated. He mm-hmm. doesn't need to be in everything, but I love Wolverine. Venom. And um, I think just because of the most recent movie, I just have a little bit of a chub for Captain America. Well, it's hard to dislike Captain America. He's just... Yeah. He's so likable. Right. Even when Liefeld draws him. <laughs> in his gigantic box 
of a chest that a homeless person could set up shop in. Um, <laughs> so what about you, your favorite Marvel? My, my, my favorite one is pretty mainstream as well. Spider-Man has been a long-term favorite of mine, although I'm also really um, currently really big on Cyclops, because I like the direction that Bendis is taking him in, in Uncanny X-Men. Um, and I've liked him for probably about 10 years now pretty heavily. So, Emrys, what about you? <laughs> my favorite... Marvel hero is Captain America. Unfortunately, we're not going to go into my feelings on Marvel as a whole. Moving on. This episode is focused solely on the Game Boy Advance. The reason for that is a bunch of these games are now available on the Wii U. So in celebration of the Wii U finally getting all these great Game Boy Advance games, we're doing this entire episode focused on it. And I'm going to start with a little bit of sort of what I'm calling the life, death, and legacy of the Game Boy Advance. Sort of a pretentious title, but um, there's quite a lot to say about the Game Boy Advance. It was released in 2001, hard to believe, 13 years ago, as the successor to the immensely popular Nintendo Game Boy, which debuted in 1989. And also, it's sort of incrementally fancier sibling, the Game Boy Color, released in 1998. You know, that the Game Boy line could carry on selling as well as it did for over a decade is a testament to the quality of that system, which just celebrated its 25th anniversary. So maybe this episode should have been the Game Boy anniversary episode, but whatever. It would have been old news by the time we released. That's true. Regardless, the Game Boy Advance had big shoes to fill when it finally came out. And the main appeal of the system was it being roughly the equivalent of a, a portable Super Nintendo, you know, and nothing of that caliber had really been seen up to that point in time in the handheld market. After 12 years of 8-bit or monochromatic mobile gaming, moving forward was incredibly exciting. So the Game Boy Advance launched in March of 2001 in Japan and North America for $100, other territories later, and it had a pretty impressive lineup of launch titles. We had Super Mario Advance, which was an upgraded version of Super Mario Bros. 2, F-Zero Maximum Velocity, Army Men Advance, High Heat Baseball 2002, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, Dodgeball Advance, Fire Pro Wrestling, Top Gear GT Championship, my favorite, Tweety and the Magic Jewel, <laughs> um, Fortress, Iridian 3D, Pitfall the Mayan Adventure, Ready to Rumble Round 2, Choo Choo Rocket, and Rayman. And you could say that you could say that was the last strong launch lineup that a Nintendo system has had. Perhaps. Really, there's only like five great games in there. So it's worth mentioning that the library of Game Boy Advance games could also include pretty much the entirety of the original Game Boy and Game Boy Color collections due to the system having backwards compatibility, complete with the built-in sort of uh, the Super Game Boy-esque color enhancement. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, no more pea soup. Yeah, it was actually it was actually really cool. And and I mean, am I am I wrong on this? But was was this the first time that a video game system was backwards compatible? I can't think of any others that would have been at that point in time. Because did the PS2 come out in two thousand? Oh, you know what? Yeah, it did. Sorry. Okay. It did. So there's that mystery solved. So never mind. <laughs> yeah. So inevitably, the Game Boy Advance soon fell into many of the the classic sort of. Uh, Nintendo tropes, maybe you could call them. There were new colors of the console debuting every few months, and there were three major hardware revisions in nearly as many years. Not to mention the library of the Game Boy Advance. You know, half of it was games with Advance in the title. Uh, much, you know, much like the Super NES, every game was Super whatever, and the Nintendo 64, everything was something 64. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting that the title Advance Wars stuck with the, with the series right. when the series is actually called Wars in Japan. Right. It was, it, was game, it was Game Boy Wars originally. I think it was Famicom Wars to begin with. Don't quote me. I don't think, no, I, I don't think it was released on the NES, was it? Okay. We, we said in an earlier episode of this show that we're one of the, the least uh, prepared <laughs> video game podcasts out there, so we're definitely not the ones to ask about that. That is true. So these uh, aforementioned hardware revisions were, as far as I'm concerned, the superior versions of the Game Boy Advance. Totally. 
I I never I never buy revised hardware for any of Nintendo systems. I usually go with the, you know, whatever comes out within the general launch window and then stick with that hardware iteration, but mm. I did actually buy like an original Game Boy Advance and then I sold it to one of my friends so I could buy an SP. So that's the first one, Game Boy Advance SP. It had a very compact clamshell design. Similar to the Nintendo DS, but much smaller. And it had a front-lit screen. So after years of struggling to find perfect lighting conditions to play a Nintendo handheld, this was a huge deal. Absolutely. Uh, the next revision of the GBA, it seemed like a lateral move at a glance, and I swear not even like everybody knows about it. But this model of Game Boy Advance SPs are often called the Game Boy Advance SP2, and it's similar only in the, the design because um, it has a brighter screen and it's backlit as opposed to frontlit. Um, and that's a big deal. The original mm-hmm. frontlit design, it's not the best. Like the lighting's a godsend, you know, don't get me wrong, but it, the backlit is far superior. Well, the frontlit really washed out the colors. It di- absolutely did. So if you're going to go out into the world today and, and you know, buy a Game Boy Advance, I recommend getting the GBA SP2. So then there's the final revision. And I feel, this is just my take on it, but I feel it was sort of a response to the iPod craze of 2004 and 2005. You know, Nintendo released this ridiculously tiny version of the Game Boy Advance called the Game Boy Micro. Um, I mean, it literally, like, fit in the palm of your hand. And it was back to the landscape design of the original Game Boy Advance. It was backlit, and it had interchangeable faceplates for people that wanted to go out and purchase, you know, a nice Pikachu face to put on the front of it or whatever. The main downfall of this version is that it lacked backwards compatibility with Game Boy and Game Boy Color games. Yeah, I, I, I remember almost nobody getting those things. Well, there's there's another reason why that is, and, and I'll go into that a li- in a little bit here. Another first for, for the Game Boy Advance and, you know, really handheld gaming at large was four-player multiplayer in a handful of games provided you had the special cable perhaps more exciting uh, was another special cable that it connected to the nintendo gamecube with that you could do all kinds of things like unlock content for metroid prime um you could have used it as a sort of a sort of a co-op navigator in zelda the wind waker you could visit um an island in animal crossing and how I feel should have been the way the Wii U should have worked in Zelda Four Swords gave every player in the game their own screen to look at. And when I went back and researched this, a lot of games actually used the Game Boy Advance to game Nintendo GameCube connection. I mean, way more than I remembered. But I just don't think a lot of consumers took advantage of it. I don't even know if they really knew about it. Yeah, I, I remember um, playing Wind Waker with an SP hooked up to my GameCube sitting right next to me. And I, I was still... This was, like, right before I moved out of my parents' house because I, I, I was sitting playing Wind Waker with a GameCube controller in one hand and the SP sitting on my lap in front of me and, like, my mom coming in the room and being like, are you t- are you playing two games at once? And just <laughs> look, and looking... Like, if, it, if it's possible to express that much disappointment in your own offspring like i'm pretty sure that was the moment that she has disapproved of my lifestyle the most yeah it's um i i did it once in wind waker with a a player two Mm -hmm. uh and it's it was pretty underwhelming it's kind of boring ass multiplayer yeah but it's it's kind of a cool feature to have it although i found that None of the riddles in Wind Waker were really so challenging that I needed the, the help. Right. Well, alas, all good things must come to an end. Perhaps sooner than any other two game consoles in history that I know of, the true successor to the Game Boy Advance, the Nintendo DS, launched a little over three years after it came out. Strangely enough, Nintendo released that uh, Game Boy Micro that we had talked about a few months after the Nintendo DS. And I'm not sure... You know, most people had moved on by then. Yeah. A lot of people actually were going PSP at that time, I think. The DS had a pretty hard startup, just like the 3DS, um, if I recall. Yeah, it did. By that time, anyway, most of the new releases on Game Boy Advance were probably, like, movie tie-ins and, like, games for little kids and 
maybe some sports duty games. But somehow, though, <laughs> this was a surprise to me when I found this out. Production of the Game Boy Advance continued through 2008. It was officially discontinued that year. Wow. So despite being replaced early on in its life by the next Nintendo handhold, it had some pretty nice long legs. Well, it had a really high install base. It did. It has quite a legacy. Um, there were 81 and a half million Game Boy Advances sold, and 377.5 million Game Boy Advance games sold. And out of all those, more than 40 different titles sold over a million copies. Let's see if you guys can guess the top 10 sellers on the Game Boy Advance. Pokemon and Mario, pretty much. That's not surprising. Number one seller, Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire. From there, it's Pokemon Fire Red Leaf Green, Pokemon Emerald, Super Mario Advance 2, Super Mario Advance... Mario Kart, Mario Advance 4, strangely Namco Museum, and then Pokemon Pinball and Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. This was the Pokemon handheld. Interestingly enough, Game Boy Advance was... I I said that I didn't buy one at launch. Um, Uh I actually purchased one um, in... early in 2003, I believe, um, which is ill-advised because the SP came out, like, a couple of months after I bought it. Mm -hmm. But I had stopped playing video games entirely in something like ooh 97 probably wow yeah cuz i just i you know i tried out a playstation at a kb toys i didn't like it i tried out the n64 at a walmart i didn't like it and like i you know i played i played like goldeneye at people's houses and stuff and i just I don't know, I, I never liked either of those systems for that generation, so I just decided video games were going in a direction I wasn't interested in anymore. Uh-huh. Um, because the Super Nintendo, this was coming off of the Super Nintendo, which is my favorite console of all time. Yeah. And I, I was just really let down by it, so I stopped playing video games until 2002, when I simultaneously started playing Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation, and Pokemon Red on the Game Boy. And, you know, I was content to just, you know, screw around Pokemon Red pretty much eternally, but then I saw Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire coming out for the Game Boy Advance, and that was what made me buy the first video game system I had bought since 1994 when I bought my Super Nintendo. Wow. Okay, so more on the Game Boy Advance's legacy. In 2011 when Nintendo drastically dropped the price of the struggling 3DS less than a year after its release, they sent out a bunch of free games to early adopters as sort of an apology. Sorry you bought the system at full price and now it's $100 cheaper or whatever. Uh, here's a bunch of free stuff. But of those free games that they gave out, 10 of them were Game Boy Advance games. And in fact, some of the best Game Boy Advance games And a few of them have yet to see the light of day on Nintendo's Virtual Console, and certainly none of them are on the Game Boy Advance, unless you're a what is called 3DS ambassador. The Game Boy Advance emulation on the 3DS is, it's okay. You know, everything looks and sounds fine. It's just that it it disables sleep mode, and there are no, like, save states or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. you're pretty much playing the games on the same terms you were playing them on the original Game Boy Advance. So you gotta get to a save point before you can turn your system off, because there was no sleep mode on the GBA. Yeah. Uh, very quickly, those ten games were the original WarioWare, Mario vs. Donkey Kong, The Legend of Zelda Minish Cap, F-Zero Maximum Velocity, Fire Emblem The Sacred Stones, Wario Land 4, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, Yoshi's Island, Mario Kart Super Circuit, and Metroid Fusion. So finally, you know, the whole reason for this episode, which I stumbled through trying to lead into this segment, um, Game Boy Advance games are now available on the Wii U Virtual Console. They're 7 to $8 each, and it's an amazing lineup so far, and I'm sure we'll see more. Um, and we'll talk more about the um, Game Boy Advance Wii U experience later on, but, you know, this system just it just keeps going, you know, and it's it's one of the greatest systems of all time. I've always considered the Game Boy Advance right up there with Super Nintendo and Dreamcast for me. Definitely, and and what one of the major draws for me was that a lot of games were being ported from the suit, you know, like a lot of Super Nintendo games were being ported to the GBA. Right. So games that I had missed the first time around because you know I was a teenager without a job or reliable cash source like i at this point when the gba came out i I, I was an employed adult i could buy at least one video game a month and that was a great way for me to fill out some of the ones that i had uh that i had missed 
that and like going from the Game Boy system to the, to the GBA, <laughs> like like watching Golden Sun oh my on the GBA, like just just playing that was I, like I remember just being so impressed with how a portable system, like something yeah. that was so tiny, could look that good. I'm about to get all Link's Awakening up in here. Can we keep talking like this? <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm reviewing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 because it was one of the Game Boy Advance launch titles, and I got the um, Game Boy when it came out, um, when it was first released. So I got Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 because I wanted a game that was really different from anything that I could play on the Game Boy Color, which I had previously to that. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 was really unique because it had the 3D graphics for your avatar. It had an isometric version of the map, but your little character is a 3D model. And it was really amazing to play like a 3D game on a handheld title for pretty much the first time ever. And um, it was really um, satisfying to perform the, the movements and the tricks. You know, I, um, I don't remember a lot about the soundtrack, but I, it didn't stick out to me in any particular way. So the there was no real campaign or anything to the game. Yeah. The later games tried story stuff, and it was terrible. But uh, it has a lot of unlockables, like all these the videotapes in the air all over the levels that you can um, snag. And there's a lot of like unlockable... Um, graphics and like a Spider-Man costume that you can unlock with a cheat. Um, so that was the main source of content in, in the game was uh, unlocking new new levels and new graphical stuff and different like cosmetic options for your character and your um, and the, the levels. It was the most addictive part of that game. So the, the biggest thing the biggest thing I remember about playing Tony Hawk on the original Game Boy Advance, the taco shaped console, is trying to find the right lighting for it. Yeah, that was always a big thing with the GBA. Yeah. It was really uh, it was really hard to see your little character and I was pretty bad at the game uh, to begin with. So trying to do these tricks with like the, the shoulder buttons and involved a lot of like creative adjustment on how I was holding the game and I remember lying on my bed with like the game in the air at a weird angle like trying to do all of these specific motions to do tricks it was really frustrating <laughs> unfortunately I think I traded the game in for Advance Wars when I upgraded to the um, GBA SP although the I heard that there was a, uh, a deal with the des the designers of the original Game Boy Advance and um, every chiropractor in the nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I heard about that. You actually got like a, a half price coupon in your in your launch title games for. So you could get your fucked up neck fixed. Yeah, exactly. So for that game, I give it four successful ollies out of five, and then one falling flat on your ass. Because I was terrible at that game. <laughs> My jam was Tony Hawk 3 on the GameCube. And over Christmas break, 2001, 2002, like that winter break, I pretty much didn't do anything else. I used to, I called Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 my part-time job um, when it was in actuality my full-time job because I would play six or more hours in a day. Yeah, so me and my friend Kyle were all about that game. And the the issue I have with the Game Boy Advance versions is is the isometric view, because it's fixed. And when you go behind a ramp, you don't always know if it's a box jump or a ramp. Like, am I gonna run into the back of this thing, or am I actually gonna like roll up a ramp and be able to go over it?
Well, Kevin, you've got a Game Boy Advance review for us as well. I do. I'm going to review Super Mario Advance 3, Yoshi's Island. The reason I decided to go with this one is because, like I stated earlier, Super Nintendo was my favorite system of all time, mm-hmm. and the GBA was a great system for getting fantastic Super Nintendo games ported to it, which was cool because uh, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, was one of the Super Nintendo classics that I missed because I didn't have regular income. Mm -hmm. So it was something that I had rented once when I was, you know, 15 or whatever. It came out in 1995, so however old that would have made me. And I rented it, and it was a lot of fun, but uh, it was just something that I wasn't able to purchase. And by the time I had a job... Super Nintendo cartridges for that game were ungodly expensive, and rightly so, because it's a great game. Mm -hmm. So finding it for the Game Boy Advance for $30 was really welcome for me, because it's almost a completely perfect port. Mm. Okay, well, what what, what I'm saying (laughs) is the, the levels were more or less the same. So There were some issues with the screen resolution messing up a couple of the levels. Yeah. But for the most part, it was a, it was a fairly perfect recreation, with the exception of them adding Yoshi's obnoxious voice into it. Oh, yes. Which I really hated. Instead of, like, the... <laughs> yes. Like, flick, flicking his tongue out. Instead, he says, yum... And, like, every time he jumps, instead of it making the classic hopping noise, he, you know, you hear Yoshi be like, hop, 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 Yeah, hop, it's the Mario Sunshine Yoshi. That's where they, I, yeah. I first noticed they destroyed him. Where he's yeah. like, yum, yum. He's got a voice, and he, when he jumps, he goes, yum, 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 yum. <laughs> Yeah, so they added that to the Game Boy Advance, and it was far too frequent of those sound effects, so... That was unfortunate, but you know, other other than that, the music was virtually untouched. The music quality isn't as good. I feel like it's compressed or something. I don't know. Perhaps I I, I didn't notice it. Okay. The the visuals are still beautiful. It still has that almost like crayon drawn effect that the yeah. Like I I always felt kind of like I was just in I don't know like like kind of like a kindergarten classroom. A little bit. When I was when I was looking at the graphics, like it just had such a distinctive art style. The the boss fights were epic, and and for anyone who hasn't played it, boss fights consist of basically a normal enemy that the Magikoopa Kamek has cast a spell on, and they just grow to gigantic proportions. And boss fights almost feel Zelda esque in that there's there's a trick to them that you have to like a, a almost a riddle that you have to figure out. Now they're not as complex as Zelda boss fights. Like once you figure out the the pattern, you know, it, it doesn't really ever change up. But it was, you know, every boss fight felt pretty clever. Like there was some kind of, you know, special trick to it. The level design in it is brilliant. It's great, yeah. Yeah. And and it's still ridiculously hard, like in the later levels. <laughs> That and there's a, a Starry Night level. Do you remember that one? Uh, I do not. It has the backdrop of... It, it's at least reminiscent of Van Gogh's Starry Night. Hmm, that's really cool. So it did that before New Super Mario Brothers U. Yeah, here I thought that was so original when they did that. Shucks. Nope, Yoshi's Island beat him to it. <laughs> I mean, it was better done in Super Mario U, well, but... High resolution, you know. anyway. Right, but yeah, that's, you know, one of the greatest platforming games of all time for the greatest system of all time, and ported to the Game Boy Advance in a fairly acceptable mode, minus the terrible sound effects. Yeah, you know you know what, though? If you don't compare them, it's an excellent game. Absolutely. Um, the sound effects are annoying, but they did the same thing to uh, A Link to the Past and the Mario games mm-hmm. on the Game Boy Advance. And, you know, this, this screen is, it's a different um, aspect ratio, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a little bit of the screen cut off and colors are washed out. Right. But not considering all that nerdy crap I just said, um, it's <laughs> a fantastic game and one that they have yet to be able to follow up. You know, if you haven't noticed, we didn't review the newest Yoshi game on this podcast because early reports were that it was a pile of doo-doo. 
Well, it was it wasn't even so much that for me. It was just I looked at some videos of it that Nintendo had released, and it didn't look appealing to me. Yeah, the level design seemed really underwhelming, and the art style looked like ass. No, the art style didn't bother me. I thought it was. I thought it looked the, pretty the, good. The the on screen Yoshi and Baby Mario. Mm-hmm. I did not like that. Okay, for me it was. I got excited for like a brief moment when they said they were bringing on the director of. Super Mario World, because, I mean, that game's my favorite Mario game, but I don't, I don't know, I think he came in too late in the game, couldn't salvage it. I'm reviewing WarioWare Incorporated Mega Microgames. And this was originally released on the Game Boy Advance in 2003. It's now available on the Wii U Virtual Console, and it's awesome. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first game in the WarioWare franchise, and potentially the greatest. If you aren't familiar with this insane series of games, I'll do my absolute best to try to explain them. Uh, I see. I see. WarioWare is basically the predecessor to modern mobile gaming. Everything that has been turned into a full-fledged iOS game about flapping birds, or cutting ropes, or finding water, or cutting up poop and trying to flush it was <laughs> done. <laughs> was was done in WarioWare first, but Nintendo had the decency to make them. The WarioWare games, that is, very brief, explosive experiences over in a flash, you know, never left to linger too long. WarioWare, this version anyway, features over 200 of what are called micro games that are thrown at you in a rapid succession. You have to figure out your goal and accomplish it in a sh- very short span of time, generally like three to five seconds, and then it's immediately on to the next game. It's frantic. It's hilarious, and ultimately, it's incredibly addictive. The game throws these little nonsensical story segments at you to essentially set the theme to each set of 25 microgames. Each of these sets has a character tied to them, but both the characters and the stories are merely ways to like categorize and break down the huge amount of tiny games uh, for easier consumption. Progression is accomplished by completing a set of roughly 14 microgames and then one boss level, which I would consider a true mini-game, the bosses. Once you compete uh, an entire level, you can go back and replay it later for high scores or to unlock any mini-games that might not have come up in that particular round. And each of the levels are themed. So if you're in the mood for just sports games or sci-fi themed games or best of all i think everyone agrees are the retro nintendo themed games loved those yeah so you can just more easily focus on those once you go back and replay them so the heart of warioware are those ridiculous micro games and to try to explain them i'm going to give you a few just small examples of what's in store for you so in one scenario you're sitting at a bar and you just all you have to do is catch a glass of milk before it slides off the bar or maybe in the original Super Mario Brothers, you have to jump on a Goomba's head. That's it. Or keep a stack of books balanced in the hands of a unicyclist. Or karate chop a log uh, of wood in half. Or guide a moving finger into a nostril. Um, deploy an airbag for a crash test on me before the car crashes. Um, avoid being stomped by a giant foot. Or kill Mother Brain in the original Metroid. Or maybe it won't even tell you what you have to do. You just have to figure out what you have to do and what buttons do what in three seconds. So, and if a few of those games that I described sound sort of tame, you know, d- despite what the, the sort of stage I set for you, you all in the beginning of here, you can bet that the developers compensated for that by doing something really bizarre in in that particular game, like just creepy little weird voices or an out there art style or strange like additions to the scenes like 
old ladies hiding in the log of wood that you just chopped in half. This game would be just amazing if everything I mentioned so far was the complete package. However, in addition to the 200 plus micro games and mini games, each one has very levels of speed and difficulty. So as you progress in a level, it continually picks up pace. So where you had five seconds to drop an egg into a large moving frying pan the first time, the second time you play, it might be a smaller frying pan, and now you have only three seconds to drop the egg. Um, the visuals are hard to comment on, other than they are just 100% necessary and effective. They're intentionally bad. Yeah, but not always. Like, the main metagame that involves Wario and his band of weird cronies setting the stage for each segment of microgaming has a unified, cartoony look that is well done, but there's no one art style to the actual games themselves. It's almost like they gave the job of designing the look of WarioWare to everyone on the staff, regardless of whether or not they had artistic talent. <laughs> Wait, I, I, have a, I have a question for you. Okay. When did this game come out? 2003. Wasn't that around when everyone started, like all psychologists started giving everyone diagnosis of ADD? <laughs> Excellent point. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I I cut you off there. No, no, but it's true. This game is like ADD in a nutshell, but it's hilarious and unsettling at the same time. Okay, so all in all, this is one of the best games I feel Nintendo has ever released. It was, it's weird. It's out there. It's it's. I hate to say it's shallow because it's not totally true, but despite its quirkiness and randomness and its brief playtime per session, at least, it can hold its head high alongside any Mario or Zelda title. It's just as good in terms of quality, level of enjoyment, and satisfaction. It's just different from those other games. You know, it's it's like your cousin who showed up to Thanksgiving dinner wearing chainmail. <laughs> Which actually happened to a coworker of mine, but that's another story for another day. Seriously? Yeah. Probably the most glowing endorsement I can give for, I can give it mm -hmm. is like reviews and reading about the concept of the game and hearing people talk about it didn't make me want to play it. Like it sounded like the dumbest shit. Yeah. And then when I was actually forced to sit down and play it, mm -hmm. I had a blast with it. I highly recommend it. It's a great party game. I, I'm not sure how well it translates onto the Wii U. In that regard, so if you can track down a copy of the Wii version, it I feel like it's almost as good, and that that is a lot of fun to play with people. Speaking of Wii U, though, um, Kevin and I have been playing Game Boy Advance games on the Wii U, and we're just going to talk very briefly about that experience. All right. Well, I played Advance Wars for the Wii the Wii U simply because it was the only one out of the available titles that I didn't already have, and, I mean, I, I like the series. I have to say that I really like playing it on a big screen. The yes. the, the resolution is very crisp, and I, I'd be interested to play additional games using the Virtual Console for Game Boy Advance just because this first batch seems to be so well done. It's really strong. Yeah. And the, the the emulation is pretty good. I, I kind of wish they had adjusted the colors a little bit. Um, the original Game Boy Advance uh, ROMs, like the, the whites were almost kind of gray. So you, you might not notice it when you're playing it on the original system, but when they translate it one-to-one -one over to uh, a backlit, you know, high-definition television, you kind of notice that your whites are a little gray. And, and I think it it just sort of carries on over into every color. And it's not immediately noticeable. You have to almost be looking for it to notice. But um, I personally didn't spot it at all. It's worth noting that um, a company called M2 did the emulation. And these are the same people who did the Game Gear games for the 3DS Virtual Console and the Sega 3D Classics. And all of these are like just well-preserved samples of video game history, and the emulation that they do and the options that they give are always really good. They dialed it back a little bit for Wii U. You pretty much just get a few like visual filters and stuff like that that don't really, I don't know, they don't help or hurt it either way a whole lot, but it's nice to have. You know, it's more than Nintendo has done themselves up to this point. And, you know, at first I was kind of weird 
about them. Like, why are they putting Game Boy Advance games on the Wii U and not the 3DS? But after playing Advance Wars on my TV, like, I'm, it's freaking amazing. The one, the one thing that I will say, it, it, but this is this is just like an Advance Wars problem, I guess, is the the game being on the big screen is gonna negate Fog of War multiplayer. Yeah, you'll have to pass around the Wii the the Wii gamepad. Yeah, turn I off, guess. Turn off your big screen TV and just play on the gamepad. Yeah, but that defeats the entire I know. purpose. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it's it's a bigger screen than the Game Boy Advance was still, even on the Wii U gamepad, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, it, it. That that concern literally only applies to Advance Wars. Okay, so I highly recommend getting any game, every game on there. If if any of those were interesting, yeah, to to, to you as as a player, like definitely pick it up. I'll go over the list real quick. Right now, you can get Golden Sun, Mario Luigi Superstar Saga, Metroid Fusion, Kirby and the Amazing Mirror, WarioWare, F Zero Maximum Velocity, Advance Wars, and Super Mario Advance 3 Yoshi's Island. It's a great lineup. Golden Sun is my next purchase. Golden Sun. Well, I still have that the cartridge for mm. Game Boy Advance, so I probably won't pick it up on Wii U. Do you have a wish list of games you want to see on there next? Oh, man. What would I like to see on there next? Tactics. No, I don't need to play Tactics again. I... I played the shit out of that. Yeah, right. I sold my copy, so I would like to have it available again. I would also like to see the Castlevania games. I would buy those up in a heartbeat. Yeah, I would buy one of the Castlevania games. Drill Dozer? Mm. Because that game always looked kind of cool, but it was like, it was toward the end of the Game Boy Advance's life cycle, mm-hmm. and I never ended up picking it up because I was too busy buying DS games at that point. Yeah. Um, Mario Kart Super Circuit. Oh, yeah. Because I want to play that on a screen that isn't my Game Boy Advance. Yeah, we have it on 3DS, but mm-hmm. it's still tiny. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'd like a Mario Kart game definitely benefits from a big screen. Although, although a lot of Mario Kart's fun is in the multiplayer, and if it's a single player only experience, I don't know how I'd be with yeah. that. Yeah, you know, an M two of all things added local co op for freaking Sonic Drift for the 3DS uh, Virtual Console. It's a Game Gear game, mm-hmm. which is crazy. It is kind of crazy. I wish they would have done that for Advance Wars, or you know. If in the future they could do that for Mario Kart, it'd be amazing. But you can play local multiplayer for Advance Wars. Yeah, but it's a it's a weird way of doing it. You could do that same kind of thing for Mario Kart. Oh yeah. So to close out the episode, I thought we'd just reminisce a little bit more about some favorite memories or interesting stories or just I don't know any great times you had with your Game Boy Advance. This goes in with um, the GameCube link cable that we briefly mentioned earlier. The best reason to have a GameCube link cable was by far The Legend of Zelda Four Sword Adventures. I have friends who owned Game Boy Advances, didn't own any games, <laughs> but owned Game Boy Advances so they could play Zelda Four Swords. That's crazy. We, we, we never had to go with you know without four people playing it. Like We usually had to have people... Switching out because like my my crew loved that game so much. Um, it, it was it was basically what I had wanted to play ever since I played the very original Legend of Zelda on my NES. Wow! I was like, wow, you know, like Zelda would be amazing with co- with cooperative multiplayer. I mean, I I was you know I was eight, so I didn't have that kind of you know thought behind it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But my my whole thing was. Like, I had actually, like, envisioned this game where, you know, based on the animated series where Link and Zelda could team up together and, you know, fight Ganon. Um, And, and of course, you know, Four Sword Adventures wasn't that because it was four Links and, you know, you you have to rescue Zelda because Zelda's job is being rescued. (laughs) But it was exactly what I had been waiting for. Like, the the way that it incorporated um, secret elements you know, on the um, Game Boy Advance instead of, you know, being on the main screen. Like, going through some mazes, if you went through the maze on the Game Boy Advance and finished it before your friends, you know, you would frequently be rewarded with, like, additional treasures or heart containers or weapons, you know, your choice of a weapon, basically. And that was just a really cool use of the system, I thought. Mine are, I have a bunch, but they're very, very brief. You know, just things that really stuck out to me. They're very personal 
experience is very um, exclusive to me and me alone, I'm assuming. But just like playing Mario Kart Super Circuit in my grandparents' basement with my friend Kyle till all hours of the morning. We were both obsessed with that game, and both of us were convinced we had Carpal Tunnel at one point in time from that game because of the er ergonomics itself of the, the Game Boy Advance. Similar to that, playing Final Fantasy Tactics Advance with Kevin in our last episode or two episodes ago or whatever it was. Kevin mentioned the multiplayer wasn't very good, but... It wasn't that it was bad, it was that there wasn't enough of it. There were like four maps that you could play. Okay. I wanted far more for buying yeah. a link cable. Going back to what we said earlier, Golden Sun. Just Golden Sun was like remarkable on that system at the time, at that place. It's gorgeous. Like, by now... Today's standards, playing it now for the first time, it's going to be different for people. But at that time, at that place, that point in my life, that game was incredible. And it was exactly what I wanted. And what was really cool about that game, this isn't anything that, you know, required the Game Boy Advance. But Camelot, their way of handling magic was a breath of fresh air, like equipping um, Creatures. gins. Yeah. To, to your characters to make them elemental and make them different classes and everything was kind of cool. I never found it to be all that beneficial to go outside of a person's natural elemental class. Mm -hmm. But w what I did like was that it was a game that encouraged you to use spells because as you run around the overworld, you regain magic points. Right. That makes it more than just mashing your fight command. True. Also, Animal Crossing with the GBA, like... So the GameCube one, you could travel to the island, get exclusive items like coconuts and stuff, but also you could play your NES games. This is like a precursor to the virtual console. You could play your NES games either on the television or you could play NES games that you purchased from Tom Nook or wherever you got them from on your GBA. So it was almost like a precursor to the Wii U where I could be playing an NES game on my Game Boy Advance. Were while, they full games? Yeah. While someone else is, you know, they could at that point, change the channel on the television and watch something else. My final memory would be just taking the Game Boy Advance on tour with me, with my old band. Just saw, like, half the country and sat in the back of the van and played all kinds of stuff. I don't even remember, like, Final Fantasy Tactics. And I definitely played some, like, Game Boy Harvest Moon games and all kinds of stuff. Link's Awakening. Yeah. Just to pass the time of 21-hour drives and that kind of thing. My, my Game Boy definitely went a lot of places with me as well. Unfortunately, by the time that uh, the Game Boy Advance came out, I had developed motion sickness, so my ability to uh. play it in the car was very limited. I could only do it for brief periods of time. Mm -hmm. But I did definitely take my Game Boy Advance and Final Fantasy Tactics with me to work at my terrible customer service job. <sighs> so I would sit there, talk to people on the phone while playing Final Fantasy Tactics. So if anyone ever received terrible customer service from a place from a guy named Kevin, that was probably me, and I was playing Game Boy. <laughs> That's amazing. But we, we also, this is, some, this is a story I think we told on a previous episode, but Emrys and some other friends and I took a trip to Georgia back in 2004, and we had a copy of Advance Wars and a Game Boy Advance, and we just passed it around the van as we drove for the entire road trip. And, and the cool thing about that was, despite my developed motion sickness, like my turn was my turns were just short enough because I'm bad at that game that. It didn't trigger any motion sickness. The strongest memories I have, uh, apart from specific games that I've already viewed, are playing Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles on the GameCube, actually, because that game had the feature where everybody with a link cable would bring their Game Boy Advance over, and you'd plug it in and use that as the controller while you're playing the game. So four people could play with their Game Boy Advance, and um, everybody had some specific thing going on on their, on their little Game Boy that was different from what everyone else could see while we were playing. And I remember, I remember it fondly because even for like people who wouldn't play Crystal Chronicles, they would still come over and we'd have like Game Boy Advance parties and we'd play Final Fantasy Tactics Advance or, or Pokemon or whatever while some people were playing Crystal Chronicles. And uh, it was really cool to see everyone, um, to, to just hang out with everybody playing Game Boy Advance and playing this cool uh, 
I feel, underrated Final Fantasy game. I didn't feel it was underrated. Yeah, I know. You um, you think it's just a typical like action RPG. Yeah, without analog control. <laughs> right. And like on reflection, you're not you're not wrong about that. But I felt like the game was well designed and it was it was trying to do something cool and unique with its controller scheme. And I I I really enjoyed playing it. I, I'm always sad I'm sad that we never actually finished it, but uh it was it was it was a new experience and it was cool that they were trying something different and I really enjoyed it. Alright, well that that wraps it up. So Thanks for listening, and Nintendo, Game Boy Advance, we love you. Indeed, indeed we do. Next episode is our one-year anniversary. will be our mid-May episode, and we have so many surprise things planned for that that not even we know what we're going to (laughs) do. We'll do an episode. We will certainly acknowledge that we've been doing a podcast for a year. So you can look forward to that. (laughs) That's a guarantee you can take to the bank. You can look forward to us. The Pokemon Bank. (laughs) Anyway, you can find us online at portablepower.popularoutcast.com, where you can click on an Amazon banner, do some shopping, and we get a cut of it, provided that you are sensible enough to be browsing the internet in incognito mode or with removed cookies toss those cookies <laughs> uh very quickly because some people aren't a fan of this part of the episode go to <laughs> itunes <laughs> rate us and review us go to twitter and subscribe yes please go to twitter at portable power fm facebook.com slash portable power podcast email us at portable power podcast at gmail.com we're also on vine now you can watch us do retarded stuff on vine we're on twitch very rarely because ios games are being really slow about having twitch uh compatibility and also most recently we are on deviant art with portablepowerpodcast.deviantart.com any one of these avenues seek us out interact with us so that's it see you in a couple weeks posers sack (laughs) (laughs) that makes this whole extra recording session worth it jokes are hard sometimes especially when genitals are involved male genitals that is oh oh get it jokes are hard sometimes oh 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 gosh oh where was this last night when i was on stage (laughs) oh man